Hello, and welcome to JK It's Magic, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. And in this episode, we are discussing Crier's War by Nina Varela. We follow the story of Ayla, a young human revolutionary seeking vengeance against the maid, Otome, for her family's murder and later to change the violent, repressive society in which she lives. While spying in the palace, Ayla saves Cryer, the Automa daughter of the ruler Hesed. And then Ayla becomes Cryer's servant. And later she becomes more than Cryer's servant. And I'm assuming in future books, that is going to continue. And there's lots of intrigue, surprises, pining. And I would say crucial explorations of inhumanity slash humanity. Um, So in this novel, we're going to be talking a lot about technology and how it connects to different types of oppressions and marginalizations. So um, in this episode, we're encouraging everyone, ourselves included, to educate ourselves about how the various technologies we use impact disabled people and uh, black indigenous people of color. So on that, in that vein, we recommend Ruha Benjamin's work, especially the book Race After Technology. Um, but they've also been on podcasts and, and stuff. So like there will link to more things in the show notes. And then also Algorithms of Oppression by Safia Umoja Noble. Initial reactions. Okay. I had really high hopes for this book. It was really hyped on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere, but it wasn't my favorite. I think the choice to have the book set in what seemed like the past um, with something so technologically advanced as the Autumn May was hard for me to believe. I also really wanted more interactions between Cryer and Ayla. It was difficult for me to get behind their relationship without seeing more of their interactions. I think there are a lot of good things to talk about with this book, but it just wasn't a favorite for me. What about you? I like, <laughs> I agree. I also was hoping for a bit more from this book than it delivered, but it definitely set up the series really well. And I'm, it. I mean, I'm super looking forward to the rest of the books. And, oh, I agree that I also wanted more interactions from Cryer and Ayla. The ship was a tad lackluster. Um, but I think in future books that'll change. I don't know. This book made me think about my dissertation a lot. And so... That's complicated. Maybe for me. not the most fun for you. It's a little it's a little complicated, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also would like to say like this book is um showing the relationship, I guess, between two women. It's hard because Cryer is a robot, Autome, what whatever. I don't I don't yeah, know. Yeah, basically a robot, yeah. Post human, whatever you want to yeah. call them. But she presents it she's female presenting Autome. And so I was really had high hopes for like queer representation between two women in this book because I feel like we don't get as much of that in YA at least in the fantasy books that we've been reading yeah um so I also had really high hopes for this book on that front and then I did I feel like we didn't get as much from the ship as I had hoped which we could talk about later when we and and shipwrecked but I was looking for that representation and so I was sad that I didn't like the book more time to talk about world building in through the wardrobe we get a little history lesson on the world at the beginning of the book um which 
I was like, I'm never going to remember any of this. Uh, so I don't know why it's here. <laughs> um, what did you think about it? I, you know me, I love a paratext. <laughs> anything, um, anything paratextual I'm into pretty much. I thought that this was, um, I'm glad that you put this in through the wardrobe because it was a big aspect of the world building. Um, and I don't know if it was the most immersive strategy that the author could have picked, but it certainly was, um, like, I see why it was necessary to do all of that build up. And I agree with you. Like, I didn't remember a lot of it, but I, you know, I love the paratexts throughout. I think that they're fun and they transport me, but I, that's like kind of a personal preference more than anything. I, I think, I think what it did a good job of showing is that like, from the time that the Otome were created to the time that the, they took over was like a very short span of time. And I think that was really helpful as a reader to know that it didn't take very long for this group of beings to be in charge. But other than that, I was like, I don't remember any of the names of the people or any of that sort of thing. So, but I guess we also did get some of it like throughout the story where they were putting in little pieces of like the history of the Otome, which was actually helpful. I did like that in particular. I thought it was more effective when it was like intercalated throughout the book than at like an info dump at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm not a fan of an info dump. <laughs> and to your point that you made in the initial reactions about this being set in the past, I kind of got more the impression that it was just like an alternate timeline. So like with different technologies arising at different moments. So... I didn't have that um, feeling as much, but yeah. Yeah. I think when I think of science fiction and ex especially books that have robots, there's an expectation for me that they take place in the future and that there will be lots of other technological advances. This book's mm. also, to me, it seems to take place in the past and the anime are the biggest advancement. Um, so it was a little difficult for me to like suspend my disbelief, which is not a problem I usually have, obviously, because fantasy is my favorite genre. Um, but part of this might be that I don't read a lot of science fiction. Like I watch a lot of it on TV and in movies, but not read it. So maybe I'm just not as familiar with it. Mm. Um, this was like particularly prescient to me because I was literally in class yesterday. We were where we were talking about the differences between science fiction, fantasy and horror and like where they intersect. Um, oh my gosh. Can you give us a mini lesson, please? Yeah, for sure. So science fiction actually part of the definition of it is a, a lack of magic, like the, it's science and not magic. So, and it usually takes place in the future. Um, so we think of like Star Trek. That's like my favorite science fiction is Star Trek. Um, or some people would argue Star Wars, but I would say Star Wars is more fantasy because there's a magical element. So like fantasy has magic in it. There's magical creatures. There's often a quest <laughs> involved um, like Lord of the Rings is probably like the very typical fantasy book we think of. And then horror books often bring in elements of fantasy where there are monsters or sometimes even aliens, which is kind of getting into the realm of science fiction. And you can see how all these subgenres could, you know, um, overlap. Um, but they are scary. Um, sometimes they're psychological, sometimes jump scare esque, but um yeah, so this book, it, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a mix of science fiction and fantasy, but to me, it didn't, it felt like science fiction that took place 
in the past, which I guess kind of Star Wars takes place in the past, but I would argue that Star Wars is fantasy and not science fiction. So I, I, I know people will disagree with that, but (laughs) (laughs) Star Wars is a fantasy. Sorry. (laughs) I think one of the reasons we associate fantasy with the past is because of the like prevalence of medieval quote unquote Mm -hmm. representation of fantasy worlds. Um, So that's just a thought I have going off of what you said. And then I think that the, the genres like, the boundaries between science fiction and fantasy are much more porous than like the publishing industry would lead us to believe. For um, sure. And I understand why they exist as like marketing categories and for people to like find what they like. Um, but I also think that it's important to like branch out. And I was really glad that we put this book on our, um, on the list of, of episodes to record. Yeah, and I would say I'm actually very open to reading more science fiction um, because I haven't read a lot of it, but I do enjoy it so much in film that I think, and I've read some science fiction books, mostly sci-fi romance. It's still super fun um, because I love a quest. I love like space adventures and like going places and seeing new worlds is really fun to me. Um, So I think I expected a little more of that in this book because that is what my experiences have been with science fiction it did read more like a fantasy though which i think is your Mm -hmm. point yeah yeah i think as soon as i see robots i'm like everything else should be technologically advanced because like when we think about where technology is now for us in this real world robots like that can convince you that they are human is like that is the goal i don't know if it's a good goal be nice to your googles homes and amazon alexas or whatever just in case or like don't have one but <laughs> that's me i'm if you that's, have that's them. my style yes i love my google home um but i am also very nice to it for when the robot uprising happens i want them to know i was always very kind um but i just think that like once we get to robots and like that convince us that they're humans like everything else we have will also be technologically advanced so like That's, it's kind of a cascading effect. Like you're not going to get to one without everything else happening along the right. way. Because yeah. especially robot technology or robotics and like the ability to, to mimic human features. Yeah. Is rec- draws from so many different disciplines. Yeah. Especially when you see like where in technology, the robots are right now, like that robot that that guy invented. I don't, I don't know what it's called. I'll put it in the show notes. Cause I remember it was in Silicon Valley and it was like very funny, but like, no one would ever think that that robot was a human. Did you, you know? see Sophia? That's the one. Yeah. That's the one? That's oh, it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just weird. And there's this thing called the uncanny valley, which is like a term for when, like, what is for people, like, what's considered, like, less disturbing or creepy. Like, in once you get too close like if it's too far away from humans we're fine with it because it doesn't look like us and that's fine but if it gets too close to us if, if it like inhabits this thing where it's close enough like a maybe or is it or is it not us is called the uncanny valley but then when it like gets to a point where we don't like you no longer distinguish the difference then it's fine yeah which is really interesting because when you think of Sophia, like you could see like her facial features move in a way that looks like mimicry And I think that's probably, like, where you're, like, well, that's obviously not a person. Like, they don't even, you know, I don't know. So, anyways, that's my feelings about the robots. I feel like I went off on, like, a very long tangent about how I don't (laughs) 
<laughs> how I'm like waiting for technology to advance. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's all sorts of things you could get into, like the technological singularity and whether this not like if this novel is talking about that. And I don't know. That's yeah, I could nerd out about this for a while, but we can continue. <laughs> Okay, going on these robots that for some reason have blood. I don't I don't know what that's about. They, like it doesn't look like blood. I think they said it was like blue or something. Almost It's purple. Yeah. Um but they 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 do a blood oath as a form of engagement. Like like when they get engaged to be married, although they call it binding instead. Um which reminded me of like hand fastings. <laughs> um which I just thought was very odd. What's hand fasting? Um, like in like pagan traditions where they um, like during the wedding ceremonies, they literally like tie hands together with like pieces of fabric because you're like binding two bodies together, like two I souls. See. Okay. If you if you believe in souls, <laughs> they do. <laughs> That's helpful. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I just thought that was really interesting their Mm -hmm. social like their social norms that they had created for themselves and it was a little hard for me to understand or parse out why the robots or the autome like chose to mimic certain parts of human society versus not and like which ones they kept and which they didn't so um yeah i just was wondering about that throughout the text yeah like i think um Cryer talks about dancing at one point like where she has learned to dance but she doesn't seem to enjoy those things and yeah I don't know it was it was I I felt very complicated about it Mm -hmm. maybe the world building was what was hard for me the autome aren't encouraged to create friendships it seems like everything about their society functions on societal norms, much more so than we see in the humans who can diverge from norms, um, decide to do certain things or not do certain things. Um, but yeah, like to your point, I don't know how they decided which which things to take from the humans and which not because all their their friendships or their relationships seem to be political, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, much more tactical and then also... Um like transactional right yeah for sure yeah so in that way i think that that was effective and in, in making them seem very like the autumn seem unfamiliar mm-hmm. in like how they act and feel so i thought that that was i mean looking back on it and talking about it i think i can see um you know the purpose of it and i can i can yeah appreciate it a little bit more i guess than when i was reading it yeah when well, we see it kind of with hesed where he wants this father-daughter relationship with Cryer, but I'm not really sure why. Like, because I'm also assuming that the Autome are going to live for a very long time. Like, forever? What is their lifespan? I don't know. That's a good question. Because it has said is not the first Autome, Autome ruler. Correct. But I don't know what happened to the last one. I think they were murdered. Maybe. Yeah. I don't remember. Maybe. It was probably in the info dump at the beginning, and I forget. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Wands out. Let's discuss all things magic. I'm not sure that we have a really good sense of if there is magic or technology that made the automate possible, which is probably my biggest complaint. Like, 
there's the Hearthstone, but we don't really get into like the mechanics. And I'm, I use that word purposefully of like how the Autumn May were created. Um, so maybe that is where I feel a little bit confused. And this could have gone in world building as well, where I'm, I'm not sure what's magic and what's technology. And I am going to give a hot take that people might not like, but I, I don't know, science and magic are kind of same difference at some point because the line for what's possible keeps moving, you know, further and further away. Well, like it keeps moving and we, we achieve certain things like now that are, would seem magical by any stretch of, you know, the imagination like 200 years ago. Or not even the 200 years ago, like 50 years ago. Can you imagine like you and I are talking like we can see each other from like over a thousand miles away. <laughs> yeah. And we can record something in real time and then put it out on the internet for people who we'd never like have met ever to listen to. Yeah. Or encounter. It's wild. So yeah, that's a, that's why my, my hot take is science magic. Same difference. Read enough science fiction and fantasy to kind of like, I don't know. So like your point about Star Wars, like the force is magical. Yeah, sure. And then also in this book, the they were called alchemists, the people who made the first Automa. Also loved how it was a peasant woman who made the first Automa and not like a white dude who got credit for it or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he did get credit for it, but. Um, I guess the one thing that like the sort of magical slash scientific technological element that we have is Heartstone, like you mentioned. Um. And then the other substance that Keenock was pushing was nightshade, I think. I think it's nightshade or also tourmaline, right? Or is that what the hearthstone is made from, tourmaline? Because tourmaline's a real thing. Right. I don't remember which was which. But the heart, the hearthstone is like, gives them their vital. I imagined it kind of like Tony Stark's, like, thing. I know oh, it's, like, different, like you know? his arc reactor. Yeah, basically, Oh, that's so funny. I, it's funny because they're like drinking it and I'm like, oh, it's like coffee. <laughs> and because they have like a whole, <laughs> it's like coffee. <laughs> well, they have, or or like blood for vampires, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. I think the heartstone is tourmaline and the nightshade is something else because it's, it's like black. I remember because it was right. turning um, her friend's veins like dark, like she could see them. Yeah. And so we have this like substance that's, you know not really magical like it come or like it it is both magical and scientific you know it comes from the natural world and it causes all these different bad effects but i yeah, love your tony shape. stark metaphor that's like perfect actually thank you like and i it also like makes it all click in my mind <laughs> that's because like i imagined it like super like organic like a mixture you know between like made was like a synthesis of organic and inorganic is kind of how i imagined it Less like a robot and more like a, um, like an android. I don't know what the difference is. Well, I guess you could say an android the type of robot, but it's like a humanoid robot. Oh, okay, okay. Like like Blade Runner is androids. Replicants I don't like that movie. Androids. Actually, I only saw the second Blade Runner movie, and I was like, this is really it was boring. misogynistic as fucking super boring. I mean, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, but... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the the woman from Knives Out, yeah, Anna de Armas. That's yeah. She plays I really the, like her. the assistant, right? Yes, yeah. Which, I really like, like her. That's a whole other thing about the genderedness of assistants and technological assistants. 
So that's like a whole other tangent. Lawn's away. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. I feel like this book had a ton of villains. We have Keenock, we have Queen Jun, who we don't realize till the very end is probably a villain, but I'm not really sure because she's also like taking out the people in power, but she also is in power. I don't really know about her. I'm feeling very conflicted. She's probably a villain to Cryer at least. And then Cryer's like quote unquote dad, Hesed. He's not really her dad because I mean, he's her dad in the sense that like he takes care of her kind of, but He's not her, like, biological dad. But does he really even take care of her? He's just like, be whatever I say that you should be. Yeah, so like a dad. <laughs> yeah. It's just like this weird, and, and especially because you des- he designed her, it gets into this yeah. realm of, it does, this, like, lends itself to a discussion of, like, genetic engineering and the, like, quote-unquote designer babies. And, yeah, I... I think that this book is really interesting for that reason and like valuable for those reasons because you can branch off to so many fascinating and super important and profound discussions on a lot of different topics. So like I think it would be incredible for a book club for that reason, you know, especially with um, younger like like teens, you know, who this is like the audience that it's actually written for. I'd be really curious. You mean to it's like, not written for us? What? <laughs> um, to I w- I would be really curious to to see what like conversations come out of a discussion about this book. Yeah, especially when you think about like, I mean, I grew up with technology, but not in the way that teens today have grown up with technology. Like mm-hmm. I remember a time where we did not have a computer in my house, and when we did, it was one computer for the whole family, mm-hmm. which now just seems like wild like everyone needs their own computer you know because so much work is done on it now everyone has a computer in their pocket if they have a smartphone right in addition to whatever a personal computer yeah so I do wonder like how do you like how do you interpret this book when technology is like you've you've literally had it your whole life like this form of technology like computers robots like artificial intelligence like those kind of things have always been around, you know, and mm-hmm. and not just science fiction, you know. Right. That's science fact. Again, um, a lot of things from science fiction become science fact. It's it's wild. <laughs> it's totally true. It's totally true. Kenok's surveillance was particularly nefarious. That scene where Ayla like discovers the web behind the tapestry and it just made me I, this morning I was just thinking like is Keenock just like Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> he's like surveilling all these people and keeping tabs on them and I don't know this just really made me think about surveillance capitalism and the central role that social media plays in in this landscape that we're living in yeah I agree it's funny because I don't have you seen the great yet the tv show the great we watched the first episode. It's, okay. really, it's funny. Well, then there will be a scene in later episodes that remind you of like the pulling back of the tapestry to view this like thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But that's all I could think of in my mind. Um, <laughs> but it was also funny because Keenock's not particularly good at this. Like he doesn't see like for some reason he doesn't realize that there's a relationship between Rowan and Ayla. He just sees her relationship with Benji. That was his name, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So he love triangle dude. Yeah. Love triangle dude who I don't really care about that much. Um, yeah. Like he, he's also not very good at it, which I guess is just like Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) (laughs) Like blink twice, blink, blink. Oh my gosh. I just imagine the SNL skits of him, but I did want to, um, like Shoshana Zuboff wrote a book called, um, the age of surveillance capitalism. And in an interview, she gave a pretty succinct definition. And so I thought that this is like, uh, maybe a moment to put that out there and maybe we're all start thinking a little bit criti- more critically about how we use um, social media and stuff and how our, how our data is used and how we become products, you know? So she says surveillance capitalism is, she defines it as quote, the unilateral claiming of private human experience as free raw material for translation into behavioral data. These data are then computed and packaged as prediction products and sold into behavioral futures markets aka like advertising right so business customers with a commercial interest in knowing what we will do now soon and later and we'll link in the show notes to some more information if you are curious to know more yeah good time to say like check your privacy settings on your social media accounts um you can change kind of a lot of that stuff which is really nice and also new (laughs) that you can do that but it's always good to like check in and see what 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 data is being taken from you without your knowledge and there are plenty of like plugins that you can do that show you when you're being tracked and we can like i guess um shout out some of the tools that we use um to maybe be a little bit more practical for people who are um you know yeah turn off those tracking cookies y'all yeah and also like looking at geotagging photos yeah. and lots of other like who has microphone access, which apps have microphone access on your phone and mm-hmm. these sorts of things. So just a reminder to this is super important, especially given um, how much backlash is for for people who are, um, you know, in the Black Lives Matter movement in particular. Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, and gender, and ability, etc., etc., etc. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Well, we're starting with race. As always. <laughs> Almost always. <laughs> yep. Um, Keenock is described as swarthy, quote unquote, which I had to look up because I was like, I don't know what that means. Like... I feel like that's not a term I hear, um, which means dark. But how dark? Who knows? Because the book doesn't tell us, which means it means nothing. And Cryer is described as a shade lighter than him. These kinds of words don't mean anything when they aren't set to any standard. Is he dark for a white person? Darker as in black? I don't remember there being much talk about people of different colors in this book. So this really stood out to me. And it was like in the first few pages. Um Mm-hmm. I really, really, really hate it when authors don't just like say what color someone is. Um, I actually posted something really funny in, on our Instagram about people being <laughs> like, you wouldn't describe a person as like white as milk and with their like strawberry, like I forget what uh, terms they used, but like they described <laughs> a white, white person milk. the way that yeah. black people are often described as being connected to food or whatever yeah Um, and when you put it in that context there was someone who replied back and were like i never thought of that like yeah that is weird like why would we do that so like just just say what people are yeah on that note i 
did some very deep research by which I mean opened a new tab in my browser and typed swarthy into Google image search. And the first image is, yeah, the, the images of people's skin tones range from like, like white and red hair to <laughs> like, so very to white, like, <laughs> so very white. Yeah. And to like dark brown skin. Yeah. Dark kinky hair. Yeah. So, yeah. Please. Please just say. Yeah. I don't like these, like, euphemisms for skin color. Like, olive-skinned. Like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, olives are green. Or black. Or black. So, which olives are you? do you mean? Yeah. And also, like, <laughs> they never mean black. <laughs> no. They never do. That you wouldn't, yeah. The food again, yeah, right? The food, the food. Oh my god, gross. Mm. And then, yeah. So, scrimmage description ambiguity is abounds. I would say, and I um remember Ayla being described as having golden quote or brown quote skin, and then Cryer is described similarly. I believe. Yeah. So, like flawless brown skin. Like I, I, I remember that quote specifically about like cry describing Cryer. And so I get the, yeah, it's just not, I hope it's better in uh, future books. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I, it, and, and I do think this is more difficult when we're set in like a time outside of our own, because like, I'm thinking of like L.L. McKinney, who like describes the race of every character, the skin color of every character, but it's a little bit easier when you know it's taking place in present time so it's easier to have like those markers i guess um which yeah i guess could be more difficult set in a time that's not part of our reality that is my generous <laughs> reading wow. of this you got really generous at the end there. i know sometimes i can <laughs> don't expect it in the future <laughs> don't expect it with that this, was my um... once a year generosity <laughs> towards people explaining skin color <laughs> we also have a um this i put in the race i don't know does it belong in the race segment i don't know but so there's a clandestine human party right in the cave where crier spies on people making quote-unquote strange music that was quote-unquote all drums and it's like in secret and there was dancing including some drums made out of wine barrels. So like when I read this, I was like, this seems quite appropriative um, because drum communication and music among enslaved peoples is historical fact. And there was like, I don't know. It just, it just seemed like a drag and drop, I guess that wasn't well done or like, wasn't, I don't know. I don't know if it added anything to the story. Like, it seems like it was just relying on stereotypes, I think, to to animate the scene. And so on that point, I'm we're linking to an excellent article with historical context that makes contemporary connections. Um, so called No Drums Allowed, Afro Rhythm Mutations in North America that goes into, like, the history of enslaved peoples and their legacy in music, which is, like, literally all of it. So, 
you're welcome <laughs> TLD, tldr <laughs> yeah it's funny because when i read this part i was like what do you mean strange music like what does that even mean especially because when you think about it like crier is so like well educated i think we would say because she's read like all the books in her dad's library and like hair flip yeah <laughs> yeah um and she like seems to know a lot about like human culture but then she's like strange music and i was like what the fuck do you mean strange music <laughs> like, it seemed like exoticizing yeah and in, like an enslaved and oppressed people and so that's drawing from like a particular legacy it seemed like historically yeah um hence why i put it in the race section thank you i think it's the perfect place for it we see a lot of rep- of um or we see a description or a vision of what segregation looks like in this novel between the maid autumn and the humans and the anti-reliance movement seems like a, a sort of like a segregationist movement not like nationalist that's the wrong word for it but like but also maybe kind of genocidal i guess because they don't want to have any reliance on humans even as their like their work force like right. i mean they're slaves you know um mm-hmm. So, yeah. He's a supremacist then. Yeah. Made supremacy. I don't know. I just made mm-hmm. that up. Yeah. It's, no, but <laughs> yeah, but that's what it is. It seems like. Yeah. it's It was really weird. I'm like, why would, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because I'm like, as robots, why wouldn't you subjugate the humans? That makes so much more sense. Like, why would you kill them? Like, you're going to make other people or beings like you to do the work. Like, but you obviously think you're better then human like it doesn't even make sense yeah i think it just goes into like the hypocrisy of the whole thing okay <laughs> just like it, it does very succinctly no to your comment yeah right? yeah yeah like, it very like that's it the logic just doesn't it's like so circular and doesn't make any and hypocritical yeah i, I guess if like keynock is trying to like make it so that the automate don't need to use hearthstone anymore so they wouldn't be reliant on human labor because like they would like they wouldn't be worried about like this finite resource being used to make other kinds of labor. On to class. Um, one thing I really appreciate about this book was um, seeing Isla's background, like her, her backstory, which I sometimes I feel like maybe we don't get as much of in fantasy books, especially because she was so young when this happens. But we Mm -hmm. see her dealing with hunger and homelessness and strife. Like, she's really struggling after the murder of her family. Um, Like, no shit. Um, And we see her being saved by Rowan. And I really like this as a backstory, but also to show, like, where people can come from and, like, these experiences that people have that I don't think we often get to see in fantasy novels or science fiction novels maybe I don't know I don't read it that often but in YA in general like in the books that aren't realistic fiction mm-hmm. and going off of that I think it shows very um, vividly how family and kinship works differently um, when you're poor and mm-hmm. when you don't have a home and when you're you know dealing with um yeah economic inequity yeah for sure yeah because you kind of like puts the like we see a lot of the chosen family in this novel as opposed to like the family you're born into especially i guess when we see that um isla's brother 
storm is actually alive um and he's like chosen a new family also it seems to me Mm -hmm. let's talk about gender Uh, i mentioned this we talked about this slightly in the world building aspect i think but um Autome inherited, maybe that's what we would call it, or like continue to perform a strict gender binary and heteronormative society. So this is one of those things where I'm like, but why? You don't need to. Why? Yeah. Um, and it just it, yeah, and and so that's one of the things that I think science fiction and fantasy is really great for is it defamiliarizes these sorts of decisions, and and shows like the constructedness of of these things right mm-hmm. when we realize like the autome just inherited these traditions and or these like i don't know or it didn't even seem like everyone was a i don't I, I guess i just was curious i don't know i don't i guess i don't know what to make of gender roles in the in the book no i would agree i do wonder like the 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 arm is interested in like it's like the arm versus um like the traditionalism or whatever movement so like the so mm-hmm. Hesed's group of people would obviously, I think, continue to perform these gender norms because um, like they want to be as human-like as possible. But it doesn't make sense for people who are part of the ARM because they are trying to distance themselves from humans and, I guess, quote-unquote, humanity in general. So you think you would see less of that with um, Keenock. Now, he's a terrible person and he wants to kill all these people. So maybe, you know contradictions abound we don't have uh, very high standards for him no not at all yeah so i guess we that's helpful for thank you for bringing back up like the battle for lack of a better word between the arm and the traditionalists because that then makes me zoom out further and like on the other what was the other varn is where queen jun is from right yeah so there are other other realms who perhaps have different um gender norms that we might see yeah i was gonna say maybe we'll see that in future books because um we're gonna there's a lot of traveling going on now which does not give me high Mm -hmm. hopes because i hate a travel story (laughs) 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 but it might be interesting to like see the wider world and like how do the automate function (laughs) how do the automate function outside of um zula is that what it's called zella zula anyways how do they yeah, how do they function outside of this particular kingdom? Um, mm-hmm. Because we only really hear of like two kingdoms, really. But I can't imagine the world is that small. But maybe, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I didn't have a map because I listened to the book. Oh yeah, me. Oh, I th- I did have the ebook and a and the audio book. I don't think um, there was a map in the ebook either. So yeah, I don't okay. know. We'll see. All right. Let's talk about ability, disability, body minds, etc. I think there's a lot to discuss with disability slash ability in this novel. Um, from the beginning, we find out that the autome were made with various, sub- quote, superior qualities, like sensory ability, like hearing sight, their reflexes, speed. It seems like the how strong they are. You know, there's a lot of ways that they're like physiologically, quote unquote, superior. And then I think it also went into like mental capacity, like calculations and right. those sorts of things. They don't need like, as much sleep. 
Yep, that's right. You don't need to sleep and then you don't need to eat except for Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, um, I guess, like parts that make Autumn hyper able, we could say. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you you put them next to a human who, you know, like Cryer is like push. Like at one point she like pushes Ayla and I don't remember why. I think it was like trying to protect her or whatever or something like that. But like she doesn't realize even her own strength when compared to a human. Mm-hmm. And that also just, I like how it contextualizes disability and ability as like then a human who is a perfectly able human more or less you know um like ayla is then at a disadvantage right so it shows how the situation is what is disabling you know rather than like an impairment necessarily yeah and then on the other end of the spectrum we have the mad queen queen jun um it's like whenever a woman is super smart and powerful society has to say she's mad like she's an anime so we have no reason to like is there even is there mental illness with the anime like it doesn't seem like they they were made to be quote-unquote perfect i i was just like i didn't understand i don't know this road that they were going down with queen jun yeah it seemed like it was very um like apparent that it was like a gendered stereotype Mm -hmm. for sure um you know with the history of hysteria and its medical diagnosis you know to make to like not believe women and, and look what they did to Khaleesi Denver non-conforming people look what look what they did to her there's also um glossed over but there's mention of the eugenic practice of quote-unquote terminating Otome who are deemed deficient or lacking in some way so oof, that's like a whole other conversation now that you bring it up, I like didn't realize that. I think because I keep thinking of the anime as like they're not people, so you know, <laughs> I didn't even like think twice about it. But it's also weird because we mm-hmm. are in Cryer's mind, so we they are people. realize that she's a conscious being. But I just like didn't even like I keep thinking of them as like a computer. Like if my computer didn't work, I would fix it or whatever. But she's a conscious being, as are all of the anime. So. That's a really good point to bring up. Like once once something has consciousness, I don't know. It's just, it makes a difference, obviously. And where that line is and like who's drawing ooh. it is like so, ooh, yeah. that's like a whole, there's so many. That's philosophy of minds. Like is of minds. Yeah, that's it. That's what philosophy is interested in a lot of the time. Um, the distress chime reminded me of a car alarm. <laughs> <laughs> which is like so funny because i thought of it as like another way of like um of surveillance like crier is being oh, surveilled totally is. by her dad because yeah. she seems to be the only one with this distress chime like not all of them just her right because she says she was designed he designed her with it yeah and why like for what reason for like protection quote unquote but really it's just to like control yeah and as we see towards the end of the end of the novel when Hesed is like if it goes off again and Ayla's around I will kill her and I was like dude calm down <laughs> whoa and this I uh, will link to some um, like a YouTube video or something that describes the Foucault's idea of discipline and pun like discipline and control um, because that is like a, a theoretical tangent that is like explains what this is you know what's happening here you know, do you actually have to control people or do you discipline them or do you um, 
like a highway is a mechanism of, of, you know, how we control ourselves. So anyway, I'm a nerd. (laughs) We didn't know. We had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's news to everyone here. Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about sexuality, asexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take some liberties and do some shipping of our own. I feel like we don't see Ayla and Cryer together enough to feel like their relationship is justified when they finally do sort of admit to themselves, at least, that they have feelings for each other. But Ayla seems to also kind of have a thing for Benji. And I don't know if that's because she's like, I should be with the human and not with an automa. I just like didn't. I don't like stand by this ship at the moment. Yeah, I think I'm going to need to um, see the, sh- the ship sail for a little longer <laughs> before I board. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's funny because I was just talking to someone on Instagram. You know, Ellie, the bookworm. Yeah, yeah. She just changed her Instagram to Velocireader, and she's got like all these puns like related to dinosaurs. And I was like, Kelly's going to love this. Oh my God, I love it. We'll put her in the show notes. Yeah, so check out Velocireader on Instagram, formerly Ellie the Bookworm. She's great. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I'm just not here for either of these ships at the moment. I'm just like, Ayla, how do you even have time for this right now? Like, this, this seems like too much just forget about the it seems like ayla yeah there's a lot of emotions going on surprise undead brother doesn't help things yeah but he seems like kind um, of a dick so totally he's not my favorite yeah i saw the love triangle coming i saw i don't i don't i yeah it didn't really give me the 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 tingles or anything yeah maybe it's hard because like they're enemies to lovers but it was told to us up front that they would be together like that was like in the description of the book like in the literal book jacket like maybe like spoiler alert for um akamath but like you you don't see it coming that reese and pharaoh are gonna be together like it's like what like that's like really surprising and wild and like right you don't see it coming but for these two i'm like well you told me up front that they were gonna end up together and that's hard because i think maybe it's a it's like an impossible standard, I guess, maybe. Okay, yeah, it is a really hard standard. But also because I think there's like a huge desire for female-female um, fiction in YA. Mm-hmm. And people complain a lot that there's not enough. And I, to that, I would agree. We do see way more um, male queer fiction. Um, I feel like maybe you have to tell people up front so that you can like sell that book as that thing which is like right. not a fair standard for queer novels, you know? And which is why we need way more of them, for right? Sure. Because then Cryer's War is one good novel of many right. with queer yeah. femme representation. Yeah, for sure. So that that's my thing. I just, I'm not on board with the ship, but maybe I'll feel different later. I don't really like Benji either. So the love triangle to me is just like, well, I don't care for either of them. So I found Benji annoying. I like Cryer because she's so strange. Yeah. And Ayla is fiery. So, you know, she reminded me of Arya in that oh, way. Yeah. yeah like did. in how she acts and she's just like impulsive and yeah. Yeah. Like goes and gets it, gets it done. I really appreciated the mention of all different kinds of relationships between the humans. At least there didn't seem to be mm-hmm. anything unusual about queer relationships in this world, at least for the humans can't speak to the Adama. 
I think they are very like hetero. Um, yeah, that's what it seemed like to me. I, I agree there. It was just like sprinkled throughout, which is, it was lovely and just so heartwarming to see it normalized. I don't know. Made me feel very good. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. What are your thoughts about the surprise not dead family member trope? I didn't see it coming. I will say that for sure. But I don't know what the purpose of it is yet. I guess so we can have both Briar and Ayla moving towards Queen Jun in some way. Um, I'm going to guess that Ayla might try and like join them and Cryer obviously sees Queen Jun now as a, um, as a threat to her and to the Automa of Zola. So I don't know. For me, it seemed like a plot device as, as opposed to something that was actually driving their narration. Um, so I don't know. He just seemed like weird and he, he didn't, he wasn't he like, was a- like kind of a dick. Yeah, like, of course your sister's upset to find out that you're not dead. Like, what the fuck, dude? Uh, yeah, he was annoying. Yeah. yeah. I I think it's my issue with this is probably more because I found the character pen- pedantic and, like, condescending mm-hmm. to Ayla and was, was, like, you don't know, I'll explain it to you later, and then never explained anything, and then was like mad when she wasn't on board with his whole worldview immediately when you when he surprised came back from the dead. Yeah, I was he maybe he should have been in um get me Kylo Ren. Yeah, he's a little bit of villainous, I guess. Um yeah, it just seemed like a, a very convenient and too obvious plot device to me, and I was just like, I don't no. No, no thank you. <laughs> recommend if you like um i have three recommendations um two two films i guess okay well the first is a tv show that i just watched recently altered carbon it's sci-fi um explorations of consciousness ai and a futuristic setting i really like season one season two wasn't as great but i'm very hopeful for season three um i like it a lot um, Ex Machina, if you're interested in robots that are very good at deceiving humans and set in what feels like the current day. Um, sometimes, like, I watched that movie, like, maybe five years ago. And, like, to this day, sometimes I'll just, like, think about that movie and, uh, like, the, like, the, everything that happened in that movie. It's so good. And mm-hmm. Oscar Isaacs is in it, although he doesn't look like Oscar Isaacs. And Donald Gleason and Alicia Vikander. It's so, so good. For books, We Set the Dark on Fire by Taylor K. Mejia. Um, If you're looking for a book about two young women who fall for the wrong person on the way to a revolution. And I would add An Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir because I saw a lot of parallels plot wise. Mm -hmm. There's like spying in a palace. There's enemies to lovers. There's uprisings, revolutions, those sorts of things. Yeah. Lots of suggestions. Do you have any science fiction fan? TV shows or books or anything that you wanted to add? Oh, good question. I only ask because this is kind of like your your realm, you know? Yeah, I didn't want to be annoying about it, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's... You don't have to. Um, I just thought I would ask. <laughs> science fiction that I love, love, love. Um, Sense8 on Netflix. 
and the movie. What else do I love? I loved, um, I love Battlestar Galactica personally, but it's like a space opera and isn't very similar to this book at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these aren't maybe very good recommend if you likes, but this is what I have to contribute. I got a PhD in it. Yeah. So, so be- you can believe me. Yeah. Those letters mean something apparently. Yes. You're, you're <laughs> Dr. Kelly now. That's right. Congrats. <laughs> DK, the Drift King. (laughs) Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way? Or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? I think this book is exploring a really big question regarding what makes someone or something quote-unquote human. Um, But maybe more directly, it's exploring what we think of when we think of as consciousness and how do we put that into something else that is not a human Mm -hmm. or yeah or what do we think of consciousness anyways these are big questions that I like to talk about with (laughs) my husband sometimes (laughs) (laughs) who is himself a philosopher so yes yes so um yeah so I thought about that a lot when I was reading this book And I don't think any of those questions are answered in this book, nor do I expect them to be answered because I guess this is something we've been studying for ever, ever. (laughs) But it's, it's interesting to think about even my own thoughts on this because it it was difficult for me to see, um, Cryer as a conscious being And I think part of that is that we're Hmm. in her POV for so long that it was hard for me to like step back and be like, she is something that was made and is also conscious. Um, Which is funny because I am like very much like, yeah, you can put my body, like my mind into a computer and that is still me. So um, it was really interesting to interrogate, interrogate that in myself and think about that. Um, But I think because it was from Cryer's POV, that was like really hard for me for some reason. Mm-hmm. I, there's a quote at the end of the novel that some, says something to the effect of it, how you act determines not your humanity determines. No, how you act determines your humanity, not how you were made. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Which I think kind of like encapsulates the sentiment that you were just describing. Um. This is one of the reasons why I said that those, that like this book would be really good for like a discussion group or something or like a book club. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree that it's talking about humanity and humanity, what makes human, what doesn't. And I spent a lot of time researching this topic and there's a lot to say. Um, <laughs> I'll, I, I think I'll just link to some resources, resources in the show notes that I've found helpful on the topic because yeah, there's, I could get into theory here. Like there's, so this is like a, a way to talk about assemblage theory, which is, I don't know, this very, complex way of saying that what what Varela said in the book about like we're in relationship with different objects and beings right and this the forces that push and pull those sorts of strings are um you know really determine what goes on in our lives and so anyway I'll link to some sources but I also want this made me think about um indigenous epistemologies too because they reduce reject the or certain indigenous epistemologies reject the idea that humans are separate at all um so just to like 
as a counterpoint to this idea that consciousness is something that only humans have. Right. Because like that's only from a certain like that is from like a, a that's like a Western epistemology, I would say. Yeah, which I think I can really get on board with because it's it's weird to think that like Lainey, my cat, is not a conscious being. Like totally. Like what? No, of course she is. I mean yeah. to me. I mean, I haven't really studied epistemology that much. I mean, I might be about to study it a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, that's interesting. But it's like good to keep in mind that, yeah, that that so much of this is inherited. Mm -hmm. So much of like our worldviews, I guess. Yeah, for sure. For my contribution, I want to talk about Keenock's tactics, his the sham rebellion that he created in order to justify um, mass killing and then surveillance. And then he, Keenock is then looked to as a hero for reestablishing quote unquote law and order. And to me, there are really chilling parallels to the deployment of federal troops from the department of Homeland security and ice, et cetera, to cities where uprisings in support of the movement for black lives are going strong. So want to, um, you know, just making me think about you know, making a reparations plan like a more concerted one um, or just like actually taking note of the things that I do and doing things more intentionally. And then also that it's really important to keep supporting um, BLM and the movement for black lives. Thanks for listening to JK. It's magic. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of a curse. So dark and lonely by Bridget Kemmerer. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at JKMagicPod. You can post or tweet about the show using the hashtag CriticallyReading, and you can contact us via email at JKMagicPod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to JK It's Magic on the podcast app of your choice. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there who you think would like to be in conversation with us. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon in exchange for mini-sodes, bonus apps, um, swag, which is coming, and more. And then... You can also support the show by shopping for books at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Payankasha, Weya, Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sak, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. <laughs> <laughs>